Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Hell no, we won't go. Make love, not war. War. Good God, y'all. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Say it again. It's the Album Nerds <laughs> Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, what's happening, my friend? Hey, man. I got my... Uh... Get my boots on. I get my picket signs constructed here. Well, the boots are very important to protest. Yeah, them, yeah. They're made. <laughs> it's required. It's made for <laughs> boots. I, yeah, I feel like you need boots on to like really stomp around and make your each footstep like. Okay. Count, you know? Jeez. <laughs> this, this show's off to a rough start, but we shall overcome. Oh, nice. classic. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, this is the Album Nerds Podcast, and we love albums and talking about them. And this week, we're talking about some protest music. We've got a great show for you. We're going to be going over a little bit of our week of listening and, and our decisions. We'll then, of course, go through our three album picks. We're going to answer a question that's loosely related to the topic of protest music. And then we're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we're going to talk about on the next episode. But this week, it's time to protest. We will be protesting. Protest music <laughs> in the house. <laughs> you doth protest too much. <laughs> Let's do it. Wow. That's what I'm talking about! A protest song is a song associated with a movement for social change. Protest songs in the United States are a tradition that dates back to the early 18th century and have persisted and evolved as an aspect of American culture. Protest songs typically serve to address some social, political, or economic concern through the means of musical composition. It may be folk, classical, or commercial in genre. Some movements that have a library of associated songs are the abolition of slavery, prohibition, women's suffrage, labor, human rights, civil rights, the environment, and anti-war. Today, each of us will present an album which includes at least one protest song. We are here to protest that! Protest music. Kind of broad, kind of not. How did you guys do in your listenings? Um, well, a couple of things became apparent to me pretty quickly. Uh, you know, like Don was saying, we tried to find albums that have at least one protest song on it. A lot of them really do just have one or two where that kind of focus on an issue and, and kind of move on. I mentioned a couple that I mean, did have some elements of protest, but didn't really feel protesty enough to really feature on the show. Listen to a Kinks record called Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire, which... I guess loosely did have some some protest elements, in particular around economic equality. Good album, but I didn't think it was great for the show. A jazz record that did have some some cool um, protest vocals in it uh, from Max Roach called "We Insist." Max Roach's "Freedom Now" suite, which was actually really good. Don't they call him Papa? Cut my life into pieces. <laughs> Um, and I also mentioned Kendrick Lamar's Tim Butterfly, which I think generally yeah. is a, a great protest album and does have a pretty focused message. I just feel like it was a lot to bite off for this show, and we're already kind of doing a similar album, which we'll find out shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like I landed on a pretty pretty safe space <laughs> for uh, protest <laughs> albums here. How about you, dude? Yeah, uh, f- for me, it was trying to kind of avoid the 60s because it was like all that anti-Vietnam stuff for the most part and i wanted to get into some other topics and i kind of already had something in mind for a long time that i've been 
looking for reasons to talk about. Uh, so some of the things I listened to anyway were Prophets of Rage from 2017, the collaboration of members of Rage Against the Machine and uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy and uh, I think members of Cypress Hill as well. System of a Down, Toxicity 2001. That's another one that isn't protesty enough, although there's definitely elements there. And then the Isley Brothers, The Heat Is On from 1975. Hmm. There's a couple of songs on there that are definitely about social injustices, including one called Fight the Power. Interesting. So, Donald. Uh, well, I, you know, I thought about my, my usual cast of uh, favorites. Uh, of course, Roger Waters, the, <laughs> the, the final Pink Floyd album with him known as the, the Final Cut. It's really more of a, a Roger Waters solo album. You know, that one's a very like anti-Margaret Thatcher era um, England. Anti-other members of Pink Floyd <laughs> getting in his way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Also, uh, The Smiths, Meet is Murder. The, the title track, Meet is Murder, is uh, you know, kind of a... <laughs> Kind of an anthem for us vegetarian folks. Uh, I remember being at a Morrissey concert with you, and he Morrissey did that song, and I, and I was like, "That's a metaphor, right?" And you're like, "No, <laughs> it's a bad it's a weird day." Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, another one I thought of is just one song from that album, but the the song "Monkey Gone to Heaven" by the Pixies uh, on on Doolittle is is kind of a, a protest song uh, about the uh, the environment. So, uh, but I, I actually decided to go a more traditional route, you know, went back to the, the 1960s. All right. With all that being said, let's get into it. You choo choo choose me? Red protest music album going with Rage Against the Machine and their debut studio album from 1992. This is Killing in the Name. Killing in the Name. Those who died are justified. Was that? That sounded more like a Beastie Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was more like Sabotage than Killing in the Night. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, pretty controversial song. You know, that song ends with uh, the refrain of Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Uh, it was written in part in response to the Rodney King beating, which had happened in the prior year, I believe. Um, the trial was, was coming up. Uh, it was really, for me, like that first moment where i really realized how deep like the racial divide was in our country or how deep-seated some of these Mm -hmm. these issues were i think the song nicely highlights that and it got a lot of press you know positive and negative at the time got these guys definitely put rage against the machine on the map three words i used to describe this album are revolution in a bottle i mean the lyrics obviously are pretty inflammatory i guess i would say or you know definitely pushing people towards action i think you know, that combined with just like the aggressiveness of the music, I think really does kind of lead to sort of like this powder keg of, uh, just, you know, emotions and energy built it up on, on this record and especially, you know, during their career. But I think what struck me most going back to this was, man, they created such like a cool hodgepodge of sounds. I mean, you had really represented hip hop, metal and rock right. at a time where that wasn't really being done. I mean, it really wasn't done as 
arguably as well as they did it ever again. But, uh, you know, that, that sound wasn't really popular at the time. I mean, hip hop was still pretty, pretty young in terms of mainstream adoption at this point. Who was the intended audience for this, do you think? Was it for everyone to like start thinking about things or was it really not aimed at suburban youths? I don't know. I mean, for me growing up at that time period, I felt like it resonated with with the young audience because you were at that age, you're always just like, fuck the establishment. I want to do things my way. Right. And it really resonates with that that whole idea of just like overthrowing the man, you know? Yeah, I know. But the establishment is like that my dad won't get me a car. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But I think that what made them interesting or probably what gave them such broad appeal was they did talk about more social issues at the time and, you know, got into some actual black and white things that were happening, not necessarily just racial, but other other issues as well, which was made them feel like they were more intelligent and well-spoken and maybe somebody could get behind and as a representative of your feelings. Well, that was going on in other parts of music and rock and roll at this time, like Pearl Jam had songs about domestic abuse and things like that. So I think it, there was some kind of, it was sort of similar to song, music of the 60s where things were being brought up that were less superficial than they had been in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Right, let me play another cut from the record. This is track four, Settle for Nothing. Settle for nothing now. And we'll settle for nothing later. And we don't think that's it now. We'll settle for nothing later. So much for the slow jam. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the kind of the, the first real tempo change uh, on the album. You know, so you have these these quiet moments, uh, but then it you know it quickly turns back to to rage. I, I find that that song interesting. Seems like in the lyrics, seems like you know you've got a character in the jail cell, you know, and almost treating it like a comfort. You know, it's like an escape from this uh, you know this violent world. But then like later in the song, it, it's it's about like taking action. the The three words I, I chose to describe the album are renegades of suck. Just kidding. I, I wish uh, <laughs> I wish I disliked the album because that would have been fun. Um, similar to, to, to what um, Andy was saying, that my three words are wake up, Gen X. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I mean, you've got this this generation of, you know, we were latchkey kids just, you know, watching television, you know, no real motivation, you know, towards activism. You know, to me, you know, I, everything was fine in my in my world. And there was the Cosby show and things like that. So, you don't <laughs> right. necessarily notice that there's a, a racial yeah. divide going on. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, we've done a lot of records, I, I feel like, recently that are around that late 80s, early 90s period where, where you mm-hmm. are starting to get that, that blend of, of hip-hop and, and metal. And these guys do it r- really seamlessly, so much so that... Like I guess it never really occurred to me that much that hey this is a guy rapping yeah. um you know right. over over metal riffs and I think it's because of the the political thing right the it's so political and so you know fueled by rage and action that that you, you don't even notice that it's that, that that's what it is well, the vocal style, too, is different than what we had experienced from MCs for the most part. Right. It was more screamy like a metal mm-hmm. singer. But the cadence of like a rapper at, at times. But yeah, it didn't. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't all the things that we yeah. had come to expect largely from our MCs. Yeah, and the, the more I, I listen to the record, you know, each time I, I think you start to notice different things or you focus on different things. And I started to lose myself in the musicianship. You know, that just that that rhythm section just you know kind of really pulls you through the the whole record. You know, Tom Morello. I mean, he has like a signature guitar sound. 
Um, yeah, something that's never. I think what struck me most about his guitar sound was how well it works in like that sort of hip hop quality. It, does, it almost has like a DJ quality yeah. to it. The way he scratches the guitar. I don't know exactly how he'd mix that sound, but it sounds like he's like rubbing his. So I don't know something against the strings. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's <laughs> let's clean this up, huh? Well, it sounds like he has like, like where this is going. With like a, I don't know, a metal <laughs> screwdriver or something, like, like a drill. Yeah, yeah maybe a yeah. power he, drill. He he has kind of that that punk rock spirit. Yeah, you know where it, I don't know. It, it's like simpler, um, but then you know there are some solos in there. So he's got you know kind of that you know that that eighties metal um, you know guitar yeah. um, style going on too. So it's really you know just a, a good mesh of all of it, and it just and it goes well with. Uh, you know, somebody rapping over it. Yeah, I think they really captured something unique at this time. And they were, it still sounded surprisingly good to me coming back to it after all these years. Why don't we play the, the opening cut here? It's a little bit of Bomb Track. That's my favorite stompy guitar line on the album. Yeah. And it, it's just such a great opener. And I love how, uh, you know, we all kind of picked parts of songs where it starts off a little bit down here and then it, it within two seconds. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I don't waste much time in the, in the quiet moments. Yeah. So Bomb Track was the first single released from the album. It alludes to the idea that existing power structures and people in position of authority will face consequences from those they oppress at some point you know it's it's not a that's a tale as old as time it's the peasants yeah. and the and the monarchy you know but it's the same kind of idea where um getting it out there uh to the masses so the three words i used to describe the album are truth bombs for the burbs nice so i first heard this in college there was this girl that I knew from some of my classes, and she invited me and a bunch of my friends to her dorm room because we had to hear this, and none of us had. And it was the rawness and the simplicity of it that all of us were just like, like, what, what is this? You know, and it was kind of conscious hip hop for the grunge generation because it, it does sound like grunge rock to a large mm -hmm. extent. So I think that's part of why it, it just, clicked with people and then people started listening to the words more instead of the the fuck you i won't do what you tell me where people i think were internalizing that about i'm not you know i shouldn't have to turn this paper in you know <laughs> i think it was being it, it was being misused probably by youth at the time depending on uh what situations yeah. they were in and, and one of the things I respect so much about them is that they never back down. I think that's the thing that makes them really stand out is that unlike most bands which are formed to create music, that almost feels like a secondary purpose to them. They, they really seem like they're trying to instill change and incite activism. Because like they, if you look at their career, like every one of their records it has a similar direction, similar tone, similar energy, similar message. Like they are laser focused on tearing down the establishment, you know, for lack of better words. Like that's pretty unique. I don't know too many bands that really have that focus to them, you know. Or 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 will fight against the establishment but sign to epic <laughs> records. <laughs> Touche. Well, we gotta get the word <laughs> out. So and well it's just an interesting thing to, it could be a whole discussion. Someone could write, and maybe they have some kind of dissertation about artists, whether it's music or, or whatever, movies, and how something 
that's trying to shed light on problems becomes huge, mm-hmm. then that's your business. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to rage against the machine when you're part of the machine. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that machine's printing out some sweet dollar bills for you. I think for me, this is a, still a pretty exciting record, and I <laughs> still found it pretty enjoyable coming back to after all these years. I think it's their best of their, of their studio albums. So I'm going to nominate this for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. My biggest critique could be it's maybe a little bit one note, but I think uh, I think it's a great note, and it still resonates with me after all these years. So, what do what do you guys think? Is this Hall of Fame worthy? Yes. I was expecting some sort of screaming (laughs) rap delivery. (laughs) Uh, I feel like saying no just so I can watch it burn, burn. Spark revolution. But yeah, yes, I agree. I mean, it's infectious. So even if like you can ignore the political aspects and still just rock out, right? Or you can choose to to listen. So, So you can not only bang your head, but... You can feed your mind. You well, congratulations to all four members. Once again, the album is Rage Against the Machine by Rage Against the Machine. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. Do what we told you. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I've suffered for my music. Now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, my, uh, my pick for a, a protest record goes back to 1965 uh, with uh, Phil Ox. I Ain't Marching Anymore. This is the the second studio album by uh, Philip David Ox, born in El Paso, Texas in 1940. Let's hear the the title track. This is I Ain't Marching Anymore. At the end of the early British wars, the young land started growing, the young blood started flowing, but I ain't marching anymore. How can you sound so happy and sing about such horrible things? (laughs) Uh, so this, uh, this song criticizes all of American military history uh, from the perspective of, of a soldier who's been present at every single war since the, the War of 1812. There's a cool line. I mean, there's lots of cool lines, you know, throughout this album. But, there, you know, it's always the old who lead us to the war, always the young to, to fall. Hmm. Phil Ox said of the song, it borders between pacifism and treason. Uh, combining the best qualities of both. Uh, he also wrote, uh, the, the fact that you won't be hearing this song on the radio is more than enough justification for the writing of it. Nice. So the, the three words I, I chose to describe this album are uh, truth-telling badass, right? Uh, just the, the, that quote there is like, I'm like, wow. Yeah. And now after going through that Rage Against the Machine record, I, I can almost picture, like, just give these songs to Rage Against the Machine and see how <laughs> right. they do it. And, and they would kind of work. It's just the delivery is, mm-hmm. a, is a bit different. Or you could flip it around, too, and see if Phil Ox can be like, oh, yeah. fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
Well, so it's not just, you know, war that uh, Phil Ox takes on. Uh, there's a song called The Iron Lady that, that's about uh, capital punishment, um, takes on both the, the, the state of Alabama and the state of, uh, of Mississippi yeah. <laughs> uh, when it comes to, to civil rights. It, it's, it's an interesting record. I mean, it's a very, it, it's stereotypical of what I, when, when the theme came yeah. up, protest music, I'm like, oh yeah, folk singer uh, from, from the 1960s. Uh, and he's certainly that, but it's not, Hey, you know, we're we're going to all get together and we're going to fix this. It's pretty much just all, you know, this is fucked up. This is fucked up. <laughs> let's hear uh let's hear another one. This is Draft Dodger Rag. Blood and gore, I'll be the first to go. Yes, I'm only 18. I got a ruptured spleen and always carry a purse. I got eyes like All right, so that one's a, even more lighthearted in its tone and the way that it it uh talks about the draft for Vietnam and and uh, all the excuses to try to not be drafted. Um, one of the one of the lines that popped out at me the most was I always carry a purse, which back then would have been enough to <laughs> you know get you kicked out of the military, but it just it reminded me of of uh Klinger on Nash. <laughs> Where he was always trying to get a section eight and have them kick get kicked out because he was crazy because he dressed like a woman. I mean, that's just such an odd thing (laughs) now, you know. Very, very of the times, that's for sure. Uh, Three words I used to describe this album are a disturbing pattern. What really popped for me is that songs against war and bloodshed. They just seem to keep coming. You know, we've got stuff from the 60s, stuff from the 80s, stuff from the 90s, and it just is like, is this thing on? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Yeah, especially when you hear like that title cut where he's talking about the wars for like over like the last couple hundred years and like how things haven't really progressed that much. You got the same problems. Yeah, and, and now, you know, now we have wars still happening and and it's still tough to understand the motivations and mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's messed up mm-hmm. so it just it it jumped out at me that like was a dent made i think they are but i think it's like tiny dents at a time and they're hard to see um unless you look at the bigger picture but yeah it just it struck me how the especially because he's so clear and where you guys were talking about how he lays it all out yeah it just was more at first i was like oh boring yeah. uh, folk guy and then i was like oh man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah right, well let's uh let's hear another one this is that's what i want to hear now nobody listens to a single man when he's walking round down and out. So Maybe the most catchy song about forming a workers' union I can think of. <laughs> 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 Three words I used to describe this album are using a guitar for a picket sign. I saw this mental image of him like kind of walking around the picket lines, you know, with his guitar kind of leading the the protesters or the picketers uh, against their cause here. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this record as as a whole. I think it's it's cool that he kept it so uh, on point with his message. You know, he covers a variety of topics, you know, just not it's not all just anti-war stuff. He gets into some pretty interesting race relations towards the end of the, the album here with cuts like Here's the State of Mississippi. That's a diss track. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal takedown. <laughs> Did you find Mississippi's uh, mixtape response? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
Yeah, but he does it. It is he mixes in enough humor, I think, to make these songs digestible. I mean, there's some of them are like are really pretty brutal, yeah, takedowns of of these different issues and and groups of people. But they're pretty funny. Like he gets some funny lines in there, and he gets kind of just like uh, you know, like he's not. He seems like he's taking these issues seriously, but he does take them with a grain of salt, I guess, which helps it. <laughs> so he's he now. So he gives us these raw truths, but then they could make you sick to your stomach. But then he supplies some Pepto Bismol yeah. as well. <laughs> Right. There's a spoonful of Pepto Bismol to go along with all that gut wrenching stuff. <laughs> yeah, some of the the Pepto might be. Um, there's a, there's a couple of tracks in there. There's one that's kind of a, a tribute to to John F. Kennedy. Uh, you know, after the the assassination, and then you know he was kind of. I mean, he's talking about the corruption of labor unions as well. Mm-hmm. But there, there's a he he does do the the ballad of the the carpenter. You know, which is a, a, an old song about about Jesus. Um, there's the the poem, the the highwaymen, the highwaymen. <laughs> <laughs> That's an old one. Yeah. Um, you know, which is you know kind of some some good old fashioned folk storytelling. Uh, to give you a, a break from the uh, you know the I guess the the hard hitting you know political perspective. Okay. Yeah, and then I mean this is I think this is the first record since I've been on the show where it's literally just one guy and a guitar. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's no accompaniments at all. It's just no. That's all acoustic. Right. Which is it's even somewhat atypical of the time. I mean, you had your groups like you know Peter Paul and Mary, you know that are mm-hmm. you're, you're throwing in a, a lot of extra strings and stuff like that mm-hmm. to to make it more dramatic. But this is just. I mean, this could have just been him sitting on a car at at some sit-in or something yeah. or, or some yeah some some demonstration. So no, it kind of has that feel. So that's I ain't marching anymore from Phil Ox. I ain't marching anymore. <laughs> No! Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, we're we're talking about protest. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take the the question kind of from a, a different perspective. So, uh, if you could go back in time and you could protest the release of any album for whatever reason, what what album would it would it be? I might protest against. Rage Against the Machine wow. because of uh, <laughs> ushering in the new metal <laughs> accidentally. Yeah. Which, th- to be fair, there are good albums in that in that mix. Just the overall vibe of it was very misogynistic, which was exactly the opposite of anything Rage Against the Machine would have ever intended. So accidentally, <laughs> while trying to help, there's always a wake behind every yeah. every speeding boat, right, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Um, well, similar to the the Rage Against the Machine protest, I, I would maybe go like Pearl Jam ten, just because you had, and I love that record record. But um, you know, I mean, so many people took on that vocal style, right? right? You know, from Hootie and the Blowfish and um, Creed, maybe even Bush, we could say. And then you know, uh, back to Pink Floyd. You know those oh, those God. albums without Roger Waters, like particularly a, a Momentary Lapse of Reason. Um, I don't know. It's Literally. like a, a legacy destroying album, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm just I'm struggling with the the idea of of stopping music from happening. I feel like that's against the whole idea of protesting. You're protesting against this question. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know, man. I'm glad everything has happened. I think it got us to where we're at, and uh, it's not a wow. bad thing. Yeah. How diplomatic, right? 
Because we're we're in such a good place musically. <laughs> we've been we've been in good places. Yeah. <laughs> Even disco. I'm a I'm a free speech absolutist man. I, I I do feel strongly that we should get all that crap out there. The marketplace of ideas. Okay, okay, okay. You've changed my mind. I don't have one either. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do you want to protest auto-tune? Or? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what album would you like to block the, the release of? Let us know. Hit us up <laughs> on the socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, threads, also on the Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. You make me public enemy number one? <laughs> Is that some kind of joke? Well, I got a message for you and your friends. You tell them, yeah, boy. <laughs> flavor flavor okay so my choice is kind of an obvious choice it's the 1990 album fear of a black planet by public enemy is the third studio album by public enemy released on april 10th 1990 the album is known for its groundbreaking production by the bomb squad its socially conscious lyrics it was released as a follow-up to the critically acclaimed it takes a nation of millions to hold us back public enemy really was aiming to create a complex thematically focused album exploring issues of race racism and social justice Public Enemy was formed in 1985 by Carlton Ridenour, that's Chuck D, and William Drayton, Flavor Flav. Public Enemy's unique formation took place while producing a radio program at Adelphi University in Long Island. Consists of key members Chuck D, lead rapper, Flavor Flav, charismatic hype man, DJ Norman or Terminator X, Rogers, providing beats, and the Bomb Squad are the production team. So why don't we kick things off with a little bit of Fight the Power. Oh, there's the inspiration. That's the Isley Brothers. <laughs> According to Chuck D, that was the first song he ever heard with a swear word in it, which is why he was fascinated with it as a kid. It said bullshit in the lyrics. <laughs> Elvis and John Wayne in one song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I thought that was, I mean, that's a pretty well-known line, but I think it's so smart in what it says. Uh, you know, it, it's, it takes these American icons, Elvis and, and John Wayne, and says, hey, these guys aren't everybody's heroes. We got our own stuff going on here. We have our own heroes that are fighting to, to give us the same opportunities and equality that you John Wayne Elvis loving people are afforded right and I and I yeah. think that for me when I first heard, heard this album in high school a friend of mine gave me a cassette copy same guy that turned me on to De La Soul it was that moment you know so I can only speak to what this album did for me and it, it made me look at the world and say hey I've got it pretty good and there are a lot of people that don't have the same opportunities that I do and hearing the truths spoken uh, by Public Enemy in this album really did help me to uh, try to look at things from other people's perspectives, especially um, those in black America. The three words that I used to describe this album, pretty simple, open your eyes. And that's what I was getting at there. And, and uh, you know, similarly to our experience with listening to Vivid by uh, Living Color a couple shows ago, they made some really good points, too, uh, about these two sides of America, and uh, I just hadn't seen it before. But this album in particular 
was scary, right? It was kind of like the heavy metal explosion of a few years before that scared parents. This was in your face. This was hard. It was the music, the samples, the way they used them were so intense that it was a musical revolution and and a lyrical revolution. And in a lot of ways, I think a breaking in the dam of telling America, you got to pay attention to what's going on here. You can't ignore us anymore. Mm. So, and, and it, it's it, that rebellious sort of heavy metal ethos. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's also just a really, it's a loud record mm. in terms of the production, but also just vocally, like, I almost feel like they're shouting at you at times, and it's just, it's in your face, yeah, totally. I think it's that's intentional. Well, and then they've got that sour and sweet mix where Chuck D is more the teacher, more the authoritarian, giving you these truth bombs and facts and, you know, of what's happening, like in Welcome to the Terror Dome, uh, really getting into some nitty-gritty stuff about... Uh, like a young man in, in New York City that was brutally killed by uh, white kids in a neighborhood because he was in their neighborhood and just truths. But then you've got Flavor Flav also serving some of that up, but with such a different tone, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the class clown acts up and then the tension is right. broken in the classroom. Yeah, for a no, minute, you, you need know? that to break the tension a little bit. Chuck D is intense, man. All right, why don't we jump into... A serious subject, but delivered straight from Flavortown. This is 911 is a joke. You better wake up and smell a real flavor. Cause 911 is a fake lifesaver. So get up and get, get, get down. 911 is joking, yo, town. Get up and get, get down. Kind of like a, a weird, like, almost like a party song in the way it's the way it sounds yeah <laughs> the way he delivers that chorus and but it's the message is like incredibly sad i mean it's just like brutally honest about you know half hour wait time for 911 call for someone who's been you know right injured at your house I mean, in, in certain neighborhoods right cop just don't show up even in uh, duran duran's neighborhood because they actually cover this song uh, uh, on their, their covers album thank oh, you lord <laughs> Thanks for grounding us here, Don. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You might you might need to step out right now, Don. I don't know if you <laughs> Duran Duran. <laughs> uh, what do those guys have to protest? They don't have enough eyeshadow. Matthew <laughs> um, Words described this record our fear of clearing the samples. This is an album that just never could get made in twenty twenty three because <laughs> there are so no. many samples, especially from like pretty recognizable sources, um, all over yeah. this record. There must yeah. be thousands you, of them. Um, yeah, I mean, like you hear, you hear Vincent Price's laugh from Thriller, yeah. and, which I'm sure would be locked down. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff. Back in you know 1990, there wasn't really that issue, or at least it wasn't a very popular issue where you had uh, people were copyright claims on their music. Yep. Yeah. Probably in some cases, they're so um, buried in it that maybe they wouldn't be recognizable so they could get away with using it. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's it's that sheer quantity, like you were saying, that and how they're all just mixed and layered together that makes this a pretty interesting record to listen to, I think. But, you know, I think on, on that track we just played there, 911 is a joke, like... Flavor Flav, he, he sounds good on that song. Like I And the, the levity that he brings to the record and, and the group as a whole, I think, is much needed because it is such a serious stuff they're talking about. And, and Chuck D is so heavy. It's a good mix. And I, you know, I think uh, it's a long record and it's, it can be intense 
to go through, you know, the full hour runtime. Mm-hmm. But for me, having such an interesting musical landscape that they're kind of working on here um, with all these cool samples, I think kept, kept it pretty, kept me pretty engaged all the way through. All right. So why don't we get into another track, another uh, controversial topic, especially in, in 1989 and 90. Let's listen to a little bit of Polly Wanna Cracker. <laughs> did you pick it? I just wanted you did to you say Did you pick it. that just so I had to try and say that? She wants a lover right now, but not no brother. A man gotta have a lot of money to get under a cover. Now she's a fine. Yeah, so that, as Dude said, uh, you know, controversial subject, interracial relationships. But you know, actually, what struck me about that that song is just the just the the vocal delivery. I I didn't know it was Chuck D. Yeah. At, at first, I thought it was some guest. Yeah. Um, you know, like well, it has a Samuel L. Jackson yeah, vibe to it. Um, just that I don't know. I really like enjoyed that delivery. It's just an interesting choice, and that that song is so weird. Like the the backing music and stuff. It's yeah. uh, you always pick the weird songs. Yeah, though. I mean the whole album is is um, it's uh, well the th- the three words I, I chose are a colorful planet, right? Because the it, it is a, it's a very colorful record, right? It's not just mm-hmm. one one tone. Like going back to you know some of your early hip hop, we we did the 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 first Run DMC album, and it's all it's very it's monochromatic. You know the whole thing kind of sounds the same, and and I think a rap delivery, um, you know, kind of can be that way, right? Because you're not really changing tone much. But yeah, there's lots of little songs that, like this, um, little skits and stuff that you know give the album a, a, a lot of uh, you know playful, playful texture. And again, you know, I'll just go back to the the layers and layers of of sampling. You know, I, I really you know got got lost in, in that. Um, I think people called called them the what like the Phil Spector of uh, of hip hop production yeah. or something. Yeah, the wall of sound of, with that uh, the wall of sound. It also reminds me of of Brian Wilson, um, you know, who of course was influenced by Phil Spector. But like the idea of taking instruments, but by the time they're on the record, you, you don't even really recognize them, or or you're using them in in a way that's that's not typical of them. And really blown away by the production. It, it, this feels like it's it's pretty uh, innovative. What about Fear of a Black Planet? Uh, the title track also kind of gets into that uh, interracial, like the fear, you know, with a uh, a world full of mostly not white people mm. uh, if you look at the entire world and the, the where the black man black woman black baby white man white woman white baby where you know the children of interracial relationships are categorized uh, by society as being black and it shouldn't matter you know uh, and at the time I had uh, a cousin of mine was uh an interracial relationship, they were facing a lot of ugly stuff that I didn't know was real uh, until, you know, hearing about it firsthand. So that, that song always has really resonated with me as well. I mean, it's such a heavy album. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's why, fl- that's where flavor comes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this record is beyond, really beyond me in some ways. I mean, it's one of those things where you take who you are and you take what, you know, what you can learn from something and i think this has this album has something different to offer for people of all different backgrounds and you can it can help you to to think about other perspectives it's one of those that just really gives you all the tools all the fuel all the words necessary to really think about it especially in you know today's times as well a lot of these things are still very relevant uh, so i'm gonna nominate this of course for the elmer television 
probably one of the best hip-hop records of all time. Definitely one of the most communicative, clear, concise albums of a, a group of people trying to tell us how they feel. So I'll give it a hell yeah. <laughs> For the production alone, I think it really stands out as being revolutionary. And then you throw in classic lyrics and, uh, you know, obviously a the impact on the culture, I think, is is very strong and it holds up well today. So, yeah, yes for me as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great record. I mean, like other albums we've covered, there's a couple of things that that make me uncomfortable. I mean, there's maybe a a, a dash of homophobia in there in there somewhere, mm-hmm. which which I would hope or I believe that probably Chuck D might regret. You know, if you were to to ask him today, you know. But yeah, I mean, this is uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a groundbreaking album. Uh, yeah, it is probably one. One of the the great protest albums of, of all time. Yes. All right, Public Enemy, you've uh, done a public service. Thank you, and go check out Fear of a Black Planet. All right. Well, you know, not only did we, you know, find uh, albums with a protest song, I think th- all, all three of us did a good job picking albums that were pretty much almost all, uh, you know, protest uh, music. Um, did we did we learn anything? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking of protest albums mostly from like a race perspective, but you know, a lot of these records that we've picked on had that element, but there was also a lot of other things that people protest as well you know which you know the anti-war stuff and mm-hmm. you know, labor unions and stuff like that i think is interesting there's a lot of there's a lot, lots of things to protest <laughs> and it's an important part of, of who we are in our culture and i'm glad that you know music is probably directly tied to that as any as any medium so that's that's awesome and what i learned was kind of uh connected to something that we mentioned uh earlier was freedom of speech and I think that the, the exercising your rights for, for freedom of speech in a creative way is just so much more interesting than, I mean, I understand picket lines. I understand people out, you know, with their placards chanting uh, a line over and over again. But this is just such a more interesting, engaging way to get your points across is through music. And I really learned to appreciate how powerful music can be as a as a way to deliver that. So it's almost like the music is is secondary and like what's most important is is getting the message across. And maybe that's true for for all three of these artists. Yeah. And maybe that's why, you know, they were so well executed. Also all three artists, you know, I I don't think they held back at all, right? I mean, they weren't worried about committing treason, or, you know. I mean, they weren't worried about what the what the backlash would be, and that's you know, I, I think that's why we you know ended up with with three you know very good albums, and that's one to grow. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, gather around. It's time once again to form a picket line, and we are going to see what the Album Nerds bot has in store for us next week. Gather around, people now. <laughs> Get that wheel a spin. Your musical destiny will once again be taking you on a journey through time. You must explore albums from the year 1986. There is however a twist. You must choose a Billboard Top 10 album for the year. Best of luck, gentlemen. Top 10 albums of 1986. We'll each be picking one of the 10. Okay. So destiny is a little, has a tighter grip on us (laughs) this time. 
All right, quick reminder, we do have two ongoing album votes for the Hall of Fame, so you go to our website and the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com, and albumnerds.com slash Discord to cast your ballot to get those albums in or keep them out. Okay, what are your favorite protest records? What's your favorite album from 1986? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow Album Nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with that 1986 Top 10. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me! <laughs> 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 oh, and Don just scared his new puppy away. I know. He was looking up. <laughs> I did back away from the mic that time. <laughs> Poor puppy. <laughs> <laughs>